Namaskar everyone today we have Joshua Blackman with us we are in conversation with Joshua who is into holism wellness spirituality he can talk about mental health ptsd having gone through the experiences himself he is also an expert on cosmos empowerment and he is someone who is also hosting a podcast that is survivors to thrivers so joshua welcome to the podcast thank you for having me because it's great to be here thank you joshua for joining it is really nice to have someone who is helping the society who is working his bit to make sure that we as humans get better so as we get started would you mind provide some of your background information in terms of how your life started and what made the change or shift to where you are right now it's an interesting question thank you for asking the um you say you know just to be specific to address the question that you asked, how did, how did my life started um life started via cesarean section for me <laughs> um at the energetic level um at the energetic level the you know i i didn't have the experience of going through the birth canal i had the experience of you know my energy you know birth canal uh my human urge is to go out the go out the canal but being pulled out the back way um the uh there there in in the in the birth trauma world even um cesarean section has a level of trauma to the to the newborn human being um but i don't think that's specifically the question you're asking uh so my story um it's taken a long time into my adulthood to um see through and see around who me is and who me has been um through bullying i experienced through um through childhood in public school and like not really fitting in and i think lots of people have um stories about not feeling like they fit in um and so what i did was i kind of chose consciously and well, subconsciously cuz it really felt isolated and alone in lots of different ways but um i chose to stockpile my freedom so to speak at the time and because uh, you know if you can if you know when the end is if you know when the end is you can just kind of bear a thing until you get to the end um and at the end of high school which was going to be my set free point um got me out of that bullying and into a whole different context of living but at that point um i was in a car accident and um i had i was t-boned on the driver's side of my car and i was um uh you know i was i was uh, two concussions and i was in a coma um and this was right before i graduated high school so in that in that gigantic transition period for basically any anybody who's gone through k12 um you know out from underneath your parents house and out from underneath your your school upbringing um kind of launched into the real world the big wide world and i did it with a you know i my initiation um from out in, you know initiation out into the big wide world uh was into a coma and uh through a near death experience and um you know twice as far into my life getting approaching 40 years old now i see how a lot of well i mean i've seen this time and time again um it seems like one you know it goes the life trajectory is designed to go in a certain path and then it it doesn't seem to it doesn't seem to open that way there's a some kind of a spiritual initiation um and that's one of the things that has helped me heal not heal but um through some of the PTSD related to the brain injury um 
and the undiagnosed trauma that I kind of lived with and, and ingrained over many years, um, over the last 20 years, um, has been this idea that, 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 that it's all different levels of initiations. Very interesting. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And there were a couple of really interesting things I would like to highlight and rather ask you a little more about it. So you did mention being in the accident, and I know that is a very big thing. Being in concussions or coma, it is pretty serious. And I know these are life-changing experiences. But before that, I want to little bit talk about your experience of being bullied. Was it because of certain reason? That is one of the things I'm seeing with some of the guests I'm getting on the podcast. And this is something as I see as start of the change in the course of whole life. I know this injury, the trauma that you had, the coma that you had, that is a big event. But before that, I also see the bullying as some of the experiences you got, which is not, not normal from some of the other pe- folks in the school, right? And you were, from very beginning, made to experience life a little differently. So I'm just trying to understand, and it may be useful for some of the other folks to be a little more aware why sometimes bullying happens. And I'm not getting into why bullying happens, but, you know, experiences sometimes that we see as not pleasant experience, they actually help us be where we are meant to be. Like you said, some of the things happen because of some reasons. Well, I think that anytime people are... I don't know if I can say this 100%, but in my experience, people getting bullied is usually more of a, um, is usually more of, is usually more revealing about the person that's doing the bullying. Um, Cause it's, it, it's showing off their discomfort with, uh, with the person they're bullying's um, sensitivities or uniquenesses. Like usually uh, when I look back and saw um, who it was that was doing the bullying, it was a lot of times those kids were having, um, were going through their own kind of trauma. Like maybe they were um, dealing with abusive parents or maybe they were in whatever way getting their needs, not getting their needs met. And so they know a lifestyle that's based on their needs not getting met. And so they turn around and um, show that experience to someone else that they can be bigger and stronger than. Um, There's lots of reasons and lots of psychology about why bullying happens. But usually, you know, in my experience is when... um, people are shining and are um, demonstrating their abilities that are, you know, uh, accelerated and um, are kind of standing, are, are, are outliers. And, you know, when you're an outlier, when you're excelling, you definitely stand out. And it's the standing out that attracts the attention that makes the bullies feel like they need to step on some step on. Very interesting. And thank you for explaining that. So what it means is bullying may not be an outcome of something a person lacks, the person who's being bullied. It can be because that person is really good at something. So that can be one aspect, which is, I think, always encouraging aspect for people who think bullying is always bad. And the other aspect you mentioned was, it may be an outcome of someone being insecure, jealous, envious of you, of what you have, and they don't. This could be an outcome of that. Plus the third thing, or the subset of that is also, it may be their own insecurity about what they're going through in their life. So it may not be entirely about you, what you're following or facing. It may be about someone else's life. 
So thank you for giving these perspective as well because I think when people go through these experiences, they start to question themselves and they start to make habits which confine them rather than liberate them. So thank you, Joshua, for explaining yeah. these. It's it's kind of like it's kind of like if I may, it's kind of like um, you know, a bigger, stronger person um, does the bullying. Usually it's a bigger, strong, it's not usually a weak person. Um, maybe, maybe a weak by character, but not necessarily weak by physical stature. It's usually stronger by physical stature, uh, or is able to dominate in some way. And they're trying to make someone else who they're bullying fit into their expectations of what a person should be. But in my experience, um, being bullied is not an indicator of what I need to do differently. It's what I'm doing already really well that is um, making other people feel like they're not good enough. But that's not my job to make them feel good enough by doing what I'm, you know, it's only my job to do the best that I can. So irrespective of what people think, as long as you're comfortable, as long as you're confident in your ability, and as long as you're not negatively impacting anyone's life, you should be okay. You should not change the way you are. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's easier said than done. But yeah, especially when those other people are people that you either look up to or that you admire or um, are some way responsible to. Like, if you're like the worst and most insidious part about the bullying is that, you know, for me, I'm stuck with these kids for the next X number of years. I can't just like leave and get a different job. I can't just leave and not see these people again, right? I'm passing them every day and I'm passing them every day in the hallway in school, whether I like it or not, you know? Um, so I think, I think what I could have done better in the past is like, I mean, you know, when I was growing up, you didn't want to be a tattletale because then you get made fun of twice as hard. You didn't want to try too hard because then you get made fun of. You didn't want to like all these things. Um, but, you know, in retrospect, things I could have done better is like, you know, I could have tried to, I could have stood up for myself better. I could have gotten teachers involved. Um, you know, I, I think the point, I think the, I think the takeaway is that you're never powerless. There's always a point at which you have some level of um, support that can be um, discovered and harnessed. So, so what you're saying, Joshua, is that even though everything appears to be bleak, hopeless, there's always mm -hmm. options. There's always some support that is there. All we need to do is look differently, explore those areas, and one can always get support. Right. It's kind of like the opposite of um, a, a more tightly squozen fist. You know, you can squeeze your fist in frustration and in anger and, and squeeze and squeeze your fist in hopelessness. But the, but the situation changes through opening the fist. It's a, it's a backward side of, of tension. Instead of clenching tension, it's an opening tension. So basically unlearning what we have learned rather than, uh, you know, confining ourselves in something, it's more liberating, letting things go and trying to see things differently. That's been a lot of what my experience has been about. That's, um, mm -hmm. but then like, how do you do that when you're really emotionally collapsed around something? There's some, some tools and tech, some tools and techs, tools and tricks, excuse me, that, um, that, I, that I wish I, that I would, I know now as I get close to 40, that I didn't know when I was 14, you know? And so there's all this stuck energy and you're pubescent on top of that. And you got all this new energy that's moving through your body. How do you let go of the stuff that's unhealthy? Sure. And we'll definitely come back to that. I want to also focus on the second aspect of your, your experience or life journey which was getting into that accident and experiencing life completely differently. Did that have any impact on how you are or what you are now? Did that play some role in what you started to become? 
let me see if I can wrap that question into a nice little nugget. You said, did my car accident affect who I am today? Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. The car accident um, affected who I am today in lot in, in lots of ways, but also um, it helped me. So I guess I'll just kind of, it's such a big question. Um, there's lots of different ways I can take that, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, so I was undecided for a major for like the first two years of college. Um, I really didn't want to be a music major, but um, I wanted to do something like, you know, that was more, um, that I thought had more prestige. So I tried to convince myself that I needed to do international studies because I wanted to travel. I thought I needed to do something that would that would make me a bunch of money because that's the programming that we were getting at the time. Um, and, you know, you're spending all this money to go to college. Um, and what a lot of other... Well, a lot of my peers were doing was they were exploring, uh, they were taking internships, they were um, making money while they were in school. And while I was in college, I was discovering ways in which my brain didn't work as well as I thought it did. So instead of um, really feeling like I was excelling, um, I felt like, oh, wow, there's another thing I can't do very well. There's another thing that I can't do as well as I used to be able to do it. Oh, my brain doesn't think as well as it used to. I'm not remembering things as well as I used to. Um, I don't trust my brain anymore. I don't even know how to trust my brain. What am I going to learn? How am I going to learn anything? It's like this, 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 um, this, this whole um, system, this whole process for doing academics and living my life isn't really working right now as well as I thought it had. I need, I need twice as much time at school. I need twice as much time on a test because I have to reread each one of these questions three times to like make sure I understand it, which is not something that I had to do beforehand. Um, and so instead of rising to the occasion, um, you know, rising to the challenge, uh, of subjects that were hard, like calculus, for example, I would like, you know, I remember I, I dropped a calculus class and that's, you know, people drop classes all the time, but, um, what became real for me was, oh my gosh, I have a broken brain. Um, and not just the broken brain idea. Cause that's, but I've got a, you know, I'm physically, I was physically fine. Like I, there were no injury, like no real physical injuries, um, I woke up from the coma and my first memory is like 12 days later when I kind of had this like, um, whoa, where am I? Oh my God. How'd I get here? What's the story? Is this my body? Okay. So I'm like in this, I'm in this room that I didn't really recognize. And, um, I kind of used the, I deduced, I figured it out that I was in a hospital room. And okay, I'm the only one in this hospital room. That must be I'm that must mean that I'm the patient. Yep, it looks like I'm wearing a hospital gown. Um, okay, so I'm wearing a hospital gown. So is there something wrong with my body? Because nothing like looks like it hurts, nothing feels like it hurts. Let's like, can I wiggle my toes? Can I can you know patting my legs, trying to see if there's like needles in me or anything, like a drip or something? And I'm like, there's nothing, there's nothing in me at all. There's what's going on? And learned about the accident and um, I, you know, through, through, you know, fast forward to the story I was telling them in the first few months of, of college, or the first year or two or three of college, and I'm realizing that the accident was a lot worse than I thought it was because my brain wasn't functioning as well as I was used to it functioning. And I went into this whole, um, scared brain metaphor where, um, you know, if I, I felt like, um, my brain was attacked by the, by the case that was 
that was promised to keep it safe. And so I felt like, you know, um, <laughs> I'm thinking of this uh, king in the, um, in, the, in, the, in the territory that's Palestine or Israel, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it, there's a king called King Herod, and he built a bunch of castles um, in that area. And um, he's one, I think he's the guy who built Masada, which is um, uh, on, to, on a plateau that overlooks the Dead Sea. And um, he lived in a way where he only had his guards around him. Like he didn't even trust his family to not try to double cross him or, or kill him. Um, and so he only had his guards around him and he slept in his own private quarters uh, where only his guards could protect him where like in his family was like away and everyone was away. He was just, ter- he was always scared of being, of being assassinated. And um, it, you know, that whole scared brain idea, like I was always afraid of, um, you know, afraid of your shadow. I was afraid of my shadow in a big way. Um, and, and then, you know, addictions creep in because, you know, easy escapes. And um, so did that affect who I am today? Um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I kind of, I, I learned, I remember feeling in college that I, it was easier to hide away and stay away because then I knew I wouldn't say something stupid or I wouldn't freak out because like when, you know, in PTSD loops, when you're triggered, you're triggered. And like, it's hard to, you know, if you're shaking because you're triggered, um, that's not really a socially acceptable thing to be demonstrating. And especially when you don't have control over it and you're not really sure where this energy is coming from in your own body, that can make it even more uncomfortable And through those experiences enough times, it just becomes a lot easier to isolate than associate. And when you're living in isolation, isolation, um, isolation creates more isolation. And, um, in all kinds of different in all kinds of different directions, um, and then there's no one to get you out of it because you're stuck in it yourself, and so you've spiraled into a hole that you can't that, that you're kind of just lost in. Um, and then for me, I think that was kind of exacerbated because um, traumatic brain injury and PTSD post-traumatic stress disorder are um, comorbidities that exacerbate each other. And so I would have this, you know, I'd have these traumatic, um, I forget the term for it, but it's like when you have a traumatic, maybe it's a traumatic relapse, um, a traumatic flashback, but just like the hit, the, the past is with you in the moment that you're in at the moment, like, um, and so the, the PTSD attacks uh, um, would be exacerbated by the traumatic brain injury symptoms that hadn't been healed yet. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it, it was touch and go for a while. Um, yeah. so, so it has been an experience and a mindset which was seeing yourself differently than you were before that accident and acting or associating or isolating yourself in the society that led you to where you are. Was there any specific event when you started to be spiritual or is that the journey that taken that shape where you started to read more about spirituality, be more focused on internal world as opposed to external world? Was there any specific event that happened or it, it was just a natural progression from that mindset? where you started to know more and more about spirituality? Um, Well, my childhood home really embraced 
non-Western modalities of healing. Um, my, my father is, is an MD, medical doctor, but he doesn't practice medicine like most um, like hospital doctors do. He runs his own practice and treats chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia syndrome. Um, and fibromyalgia um, used to be something that the medical establishment said was, was, was fake. It used to be something that um, they didn't, that because they couldn't see it on x-rays, um, they said it was, I don't remember the words for it, um, that it was just not real. And, um, you know, he's making patients better um, who've had injuries for years and years and years. Um, and these patients come to him and say, we've been dealing with this. I've been having this pain or this thing for, for a long time. And my, um, my employer tells me to get back to work and, uh, or I've been fired from this many jobs after this much time. And all, it all started with this accident. And so I remember, um, from a, from a young age, um, not really trusting the, um, the establishment narrative. Um, and I remember from a young age that I've always, that I've been sensitive to energy. And so I guess it's kind of, it, it kind of became a natural progression where, um, you know, that car accident at 18 years old really opened me up um, to a whole nother level of experience through the coma. And um, a lot of my journey has been about discovering the place where I have, um, you know, my point of control. Um, because, you know, you can't really control what happens to you, but you control how you respond to it, um, both in attitude and in uh, philosophy. So was there a point at which it really changed? Um, man, there's been so many points at which it changes. It changes all the time. It changes. Um, I think, I guess you could say that when I was like, mm, uh, shortly after 30, um, when I was like looking back at my life and going like, wow, this isn't at all what I thought was going to happen when I was growing up. I thought that I'd be doing a lot better off than I am. I thought my life would, you know, my life felt like my life fell apart um, in a big way. And I was just kind of going through my own dark night of the soul. And um, instead of trying to fit myself into what I thought the expectations were, I started to look for, my, for continuity in my journey. And in the continuity, I was like, oh, my life doesn't actually look like what, I, what I'm told the path is supposed to look like. My life journey, when you look at it from this perspective, it's all this whole journey about healing and overcoming trauma and like the tools of transformation that I've experienced and, um, and the healing I've experienced has just been, I think a lot more of what the story is about rather than, um, you know, in the face of, I can't keep it, you know, can't keep a job, can't, um, manage daily, <laughs> requirements of living because um, it just kind of gets all all kind of gets a little overwhelming and so really what's what's the hero's journey in all this and um, what does it look like to what does it look what does success actually look like rather than what is what is success how is success prescribed to me hey, thank you for that joshua and it is again a reminder for many people who typically would see a pattern here people who become spiritual people who 
start to see life differently it is typically through some experiences which in our world or in the, the physical world are not called normal, normal right maybe it is going through a different experience when someone was scared maybe some traumatic event or maybe through own demons that we fight in our mind right we see our life as something as successful or not successful or we try to introspect whether everything is happening the way i want or is there something that can be done differently and look like a lot of your background helped you start to look at things differently and then you had those experiences that built the foundation of where you currently are started to know more about the deeper understanding of life as opposed to just looking at the materialistic things that typically people look at and when they have these experiences of trauma or all the unhappy experiences that's when they start to focus more and my point typically is why do you wait for trauma to happen i mean and not 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 to you joshua in general i'm just talking about why people wait for something to come something traumatic something unhappiness to happen when you can learn from people like joshua or me or someone who has gone through these experiences where we are forced to look at things differently after an experience or after an event when people can learn and rather than going through that experience themselves they can start to be more spiritual and start to understand the deeper meanings of life so thank you once again joshua for giving your life journey of what your struggles were and how you came to where you currently are and i know you are also dealing with empowerment when it comes to dealing with mental trauma you now have developed some tools so would you want to talk about what are some of the tools that people can use when they go through these experiences when they either think they are helpless or when they are experiencing but they don't know they are going through something um i think that you know there's a, there's a there's a few fundamental axioms right like number one everything is energy and um relatedly everything is connected because everything's energy if everything's connected then there are no isolated events then everything is inherently one everything and at the point that everything is inherently one everything you are a part of that one everything too and that's when the real fun starts because if you're part of the same one everything that's part of everything else then you're just as much at cause as anyone else or anything else and so that is a that's a big that was a big point for me in recovering my own empowerment um but 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 before that um i think it's pretty important to acknowledge how time makes time erodes hope um and what i mean by that and in the situation where I, and in the context with which i i mean that like you know it took me 15 years after the accident to um have someone um that i was willing to listen to tell me that i had ptsd or have me strongly consider ptsd um and over those 15 years the ways that i began to know myself i didn't you know i didn't know myself as much anymore as that kid who had been stockpiling his freedom and was ready to take the take the world by the take the world by storm or whatever um i knew myself more as the guy who had um you know who was terrified of getting attacked by the industrial lawn industrial tractors in industrial farming tractors that i felt tearing up my body because of the ptsd and so i i knew myself through cowardice i guess you could say um i knew myself through the ways that i couldn't manage myself 
I knew myself through the ways that I had been fired, right? I had been um, kicked out and ostracized. I didn't know myself very well as a successful and able-bodied um, person who took care of his responsibilities, you know? So it got, it just got really, um, and so how, so like the tools, I mean, I guess on top of that, over that whole period of time, those habits and those mental patterns kind of got ingrained. And on top of that, when you're in that kind of a, when you're in that kind of a state, when you're in that kind of a cycle um, and you're transitioning from job to job to job and fewer people want to hire you and the ones that want to hire you want to hire you and pay you less and you have less money. And so you don't really have the funds to um, go seek the therapies that may or may not, that you're not sure if they're going to help you because you're not even sure which therapies will help because there's so many different things out there and we're told to take pills instead of, um, you know, we're told that that's the answer. And what has, what helped me is really learning is leaning on, um, leaning on the strong advocates I had in my network, you know, my immediate family members um, and close friends who had not abandoned me. <laughs> um, and also um, I got really, really, really curious about this idea that everything is energy. And if everything's energy, I, I heard about emotional freedom technique um, also called the Callahan method. Cause a guy named Roger Callahan was a Chinese medicine specialist I'm pretty sure that's what he did, acupuncturist. And he, um, you know, it's, it's, the it's tapping. Um, and I got really curious about how that works. Um, and having known, you know, growing up with my, growing up with um, my dad's line of work and seeing how lines of energy cause referring pain in the body, um, it was a really easy jump for me to see how um, lines of energy in the body or energy that's stuck in the body could cause emotional distress. And so what I would do, cause I didn't have, you know, 160 bucks a session to go talk to some, so talk to somebody for, <laughs> you know, every week for two years, like that's out of the budget of most people that I know, um, who are going through high degrees of emotional distress what I, what I started doing was looking up YouTube videos for emotional freedom technique and really trying to put myself into the experience of what the talk track was about. And I would find the emotional freedom. I would just like, you know, EFT video. What am I dealing with right now? I feel really alone right now. I feel really lonely right now. Okay. EFT loneliness. And I would type that in or I, and then maybe I just like do the video and follow along with the video and try to bring up all my own feelings of loneliness and isolation. And I found that by tapping through, by following along, by participating with the video um, and really feeling the emotion, that the degree to which I was willing to feel the emotion was the degree to which the emotion was released by participating with the video. And so it was a little bit scary at first because um, feeling feelings intensely is scary, right? But um, to the degree, the degree to which I was willing to experience the emotion and do the video, um, I felt relief. And so I got more confident in the relief that I would feel. So I would be more willing to feel the feeling as I was going into the video. So what I would, what I, what I got a lot better at excuse me, what I got better at over time. Um, and I think actually rather quickly in, in the scheme of things was going, um, I would just kind of like type up EFT videos, trauma, and there's all kinds of trauma, like marital trauma, um, uh, you know, I'm thinking specifically like in that context, like divorce trauma. I'm thinking about um, bullying trauma. Um and whatever the story, whatever the title of it was, I would read the titles and I would, um, I would look for the one that triggered me the most. 
because the ones that triggered me the most were the ones that you know, where I really felt energy in my body go, I'm, I don't want to, you know, I'm a little scared of that title. Um, or I felt some kind of emotional charge for getting a title. Um, I would just go straight into it. And I would do that because the degree to which I was charged was the degree to which there was stuck energy. And by doing the video, I knew that I could release that stuck energy and come into a greater flow with my own existence rather than living in loops of isolation and pain. Pretty good. Let me see if I can summarize that. So you started with uh, the first thing of us tool people can use is understanding that everything is energy. The other thing that you mentioned was oneness. The third thing you mentioned was being surrounded by really solid people, sound advisors. And the fourth aspect that you talked about was getting the information, trying to find out specifics of what you're feeling that time and basically targeting those specific emotions in you or specific blocks in you that helped you get relieved, that helped you get remove those blocks and basically move forward from there. So did I summarize everything that you said properly, Joshua? Uh, I think that was pretty good. I think that's pretty good. So uh, now that people have these tools, and I think one other aspect I wanted to mention about was the acceptance. And that can be a problem because unless we acknowledge something, we really can't work on that. We, we think that that is not there or we don't have to work on that. So acceptance, I guess, is another important area. Yeah, I think, well, yeah. Oh, I'm, I think that's a really interesting idea, like acceptance. <sighs> I think acceptance is different than recognition in this context. Like you can recognize it and you can see it and you can like trauma, like, yeah, that's there. That's, wow, this is something, this is something that's here. I have this trauma and I get to... Um, not that I get to, maybe if I get to, but this is what this is what my experience is. Um, to, to, to recognize it is really important. To accept it almost has this air of, um, well, that's who I am. Okay, well, I accepted it. So I guess that's what my life is now. Like, it doesn't have to be a condemnation and it doesn't have to be a life sentence. It can be a, it can be a, it can be a launching off point for um, healing and recovery because by recognizing it, you're now in, you're, you're, you're able to be grounded in it. And from a place of grounding with courage to move through the darkness, it can all be, it can all be transformed. Now, I also want to point out, I think it's really important to point out that emotional and energetic um, healing that I've been talking about through emotional freedom technique as one example of a tool um, doesn't really address the structural um, problem, the structural um, damage, structural um, disorder. Yeah, why don't we call it disorder? Because like, when you have a brain injury, talk therapy isn't really going to help, in my opinion, right? It's all that talk, what talk therapy did for me in the early stages was just like helping me cope. It didn't help me become more, it didn't help me become anything different. Like, and so um, the structural things, like how do you actually structurally heal the brain, for example. Um, and I got immense help from um, brainwave biofeedback. Um, brainwave biofeedback comes in different forms um, because different people have different, you know, the people who created these different programs um, that, that administer the brainwave biofeedback um, had different philosophies about how the program should work. Like, for example, some types of brainwave biofeedback target specific regions of the brain. Um, 
and you can target different regions of the brain based on what the protocol suggests. But the point is that with um, brainwave entrainment programs, they target certain areas of the brain to get their activity to basically exercise those regions of the brain to get those regions of the brain to develop and get stronger. And so maybe concentration works better, for example. Um, or maybe there's, you know, mem maybe memory works better if you like long-term memory might work better if you do more work on the back part of the brain. Like there's different parts of the brain, you know, maybe balance works better if you do it on the occipital parts. Of, if you if you focus on in-training the, the occipital parts of the brain. Um, just to be just to be clear, I'm not a brain expert on, so I'm not sure which reasons do what. Um, I think that's what I think those were things that I remember. Um, but then there's this other kind of brainwave entrainment, not not entrainment, brainwave biofeedback. Um, that I don't know if there's other companies that do it, but the one that I'm thinking of is called Neurooptimal, Neurooptimal with one O in the middle, and that program um, kind of monitors the whole brain at once and um, helps, you know, uh, there's normal, what I remember being told was that there's um, frequencies that the brain normally, that a normally healthy, health, healthy functioning brain is usually emitting frequencies between X hertz and X hertz, right? And so as long as you can stay in that range, you're having normal brain frequency. Um, and so when the brain spikes, when the, when the frequencies spike, um, those, those are indicative of unhealthy brainwave patterns. And so what that program does is it, when it, you know, it monitors the brain in real time, which is what brainwave biofeedback does via electrodes on the skull, on the scalp, and it would, um, and you'd be like listening to music via earbuds, and when the program senses a anomaly brainwave, like a spike, for example, something that the brain, like an unhealthy frequency being emitted by the brain, it sends the program like instantaneously sends a, um, a pop sound into your earphones, into the headphones, that is uh, what's called a counter pulse, meaning it's exactly the, an equal and opposite frequency as the anomaly brainwave to quote unquote crash the anomaly brainwave. And what that does over, you know, enough 40 minute sessions, I think it was I think it was a 40 minute session, something like that. Um, what, you know, I think it was 12 treatments per 12 sessions per one treatment. Um, and what it does is that over, over time and over practice with the brain experiencing, you know, the brain emitting these anomaly brainwaves or these unhealthy brainwave patterns and then having those brainwave patterns crack or like crashed by this, by this program with these little pops that you hear in your ear, it's not, it's not, it's not anything unpleasant. Um, well, it's nothing painful. At times it was mildly unpleasant. It was, it was like, ah, like you can like feel this like brain, you could feel this like, little like crackly pop sound in your ear. Um, and I remember on at least a few occasions, um, which isn't really much on the whole grand scheme of the time that you spend doing the whole, the whole program, but it was like a little bit of like a, oh, like a kind of like a shock, not like an electric shock, but like kind of like a, whoa, um, you know, my, that, 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 that brainwave got crashed and I could like feel it. Wow. Um, and so what your brain, what the brain learns to do through those sessions is not do the unhealthy things. So while the entrainment neurofeedback is more like weightlifting, this neurooptimal brainwave biofeedback felt more to me like yoga, where it was more about stretching and well, yeah, the, the neurooptimal did like the whole brain at once. It didn't target one region, it just, um, it, you just listen to this. There were two electrodes and then you're listening to earbuds. So it monitors the whole brain at once. So for the people who are either curious or doubters or skeptics, they would be people who would think about the side effects of doing something. They are always cautious about something. So are there 
any known or any side effects for this approach? Um, I am not, I'm, I'm not licensed to give any um, formal answer to that question. Um, I encourage everyone to do their own research. Um, but in my experience, um, the, there are some side effects to the entrainment style. Like, um, like if you, if you work out, if you do, if you, if you do muscle, like if you do, um, weightlifting and you only weightlift one part of your body, that part of your body is going to get, um, disproportionate to the rest of your body. Right. Those, there's those guys who go to the gym and only do bench press. And so their, their chest and their shoulders are huge, but their legs are really puny looking. Like, so in, in metaphorically, what I'm getting at is that when you over-exercise parts of your brain, you can, um, you know, like, I remember hearing that, um, there's a chance that, that you could be like, um, like angry or, or volatile, depending on which kind of regions you worked on with the entrainment. Um, but again, this, that's not medical advice and I don't have expertise to lean on to, um, professional certifications or whatever to, to lean on to, to validate that. But, um, that's what I remember reading. And I also remember reading that the, um, the neurooptimal one that's more like yoga, um, didn't really have any side effects. So the other thing I would like see what your perspective is and how you see this universe as because i think that would be something for some people who are either going through your similar experiences as you or trying to look at life differently hmm. so i mentioned earlier about how um when you spend your whole life living as a traumatized person your whole personality gets reoriented around that trauma. Um, and making up for, you know, just, just, just simply that when you're living through trauma, when, when you know, your, you become, you start to know yourself as the trauma um, and willingness to live and explore and, um, becomes uh, diminishes. And so it, confidence is affected and all the things and even like, okay, I don't even know if I can do this. Wait, so who, you know, if there's all this failure, then like, what, what am I even here for? What's the point of all this? Who, and who am I under this? Under all this shenanigans, under all this energy, you know, if I release enough of this trauma, what, what, what's, what, out of what, what's left, what's me and what do I have to give this world? And, um, what does this world even want from me? Um, uh, you know, we're taught, we're taught from, from a young age that we're supposed to grow up and get a job working for somebody. And if that becomes a really unfulfilling situation, uh, how do you course correct? How do you change direction? How do you heal, um, heal, heal the expectations. Um, and you know, we're not, I don't, I don't think that we're here to live unsatisfying lives. I think that we're, I think that we're here to experience the fullness of life. Um, and if you're not, that's not really your fault in my experience, it's, but it's really is your responsibility to course correct. And how do you, and how do you go about doing that when the world shows you that what you're supposed to do is spend all your money at Christmas, <laughs> for example, like I'm not even Christian. So why am I supposed to spend all my money at Christmas? Like that doesn't even make sense to, but you know, if you are, then then that's just another another way of being indoctrinated um, into the into the the the, the official narrative, um, and so looking outside of the official narrative for what's really mine to do or what's really yours to do. 
uh, and really feeling into that. I'm not sure how that answers. I think I'm I'm getting to something that answers your question, but I'm not sure that I have yet. It does in a way that you mentioned some of the important aspect that people typically at times don't look at. We are not here for insignificant experience. We are here for fulfillment, and if we are not having that fulfillment, it is on to us to find out what can be done. There may be situation, there may be circumstances around us. that may have caused things to be different but the whole idea of we going through something or having those experiences or circumstances created around us is that we find those tools we find those mechanism so that we can have fulfilling experience so that we can achieve what we came here to achieve and there are many ways one can do there are some of the tools Joshua that you talked about if someone is going through traumas or suffering but then even if someone is not going through suffering one can always start to look at deeper understanding of life not just what appears on the surface and that's when person will start to have a different appreciation or different understanding of the universe but then it will also start to make deeper connection with how you feel and how content you are with the way you have been living because then you're not connecting yourself to physical gains or materialistic pleasures you're actually connecting yourself to something that soothes you inside and that's when you have that fulfilling experience as as the being that you are so that's pretty good the final question that i have for you joshua is how do people reach you if they are either looking to hear more of you from the podcast or trying to get help in anything that you help out on so um let me also answer the question that you were asking me before um your last question i the other part of the answer that i was trying to give you is that um because everything's connected um and every spiritual tradition has some kind of a sense of as above so below or as within so without um the macro mirrors the micro and vice versa um one of the ways that i really got a more clear sense of what's mine to do um and conversely what's not mine to do is by looking at astrology um and not just astrology like zeus throwing thunderbolts from a cloud but this idea that if everything's connected and if the moon causes the tides and i just heard last night the way they planned the d day invasion back in 1940 1945 december 7th that um the british the invasion of normandy part of the planning process for that was taking into account how the tides move um and if you're making strategic national defense moves um strategic military moves based on how the tides work which is exactly in um effect caused from the moon then there can't not be some measurable effect that the planets have on how consciousness unfolds on in you know on this plane of, on in on earth on this plane of consciousness in this dimension of reality and so if there's some measure if there's some kind of effect from astrology from the from the movement of the planets on consciousness itself then wow let's explore that let's investigate that and let's see if we can figure out if there's a a way to um reduce the abstractions so that we can get some real significant and useful um symbolism out of this um what really ultimately becomes a science of wholeness because you either govern yourself based on what your 
told by the um, official narrative, which seems to be always shifting and always changing based on the needs of the people in power. Um, and that's fine. But to me, that felt way too, that felt really volatile and unpredictable. And like the goalposts were always moving. Um, just a, you know, a more adult, a more adult version of bullying. Um, and so my journey became about how can I live into a greater allegiance? Um, how can I live into, you know, reduce the slippage between what I perceive and what I'm actualizing. And through that, just at a really high level of distinctions, um, I found, you know, I, got, I found that, you know, oh, there isn't just like a, a sun sign and there isn't just a, a moon sign, but all the planets are in the sign and the earth was in orientation to all the planets at the moment that I was born. And everything's changing in this biodynamic real time kind of way. Like I noticed, you know, Myers-Briggs says I'm a this kind of personality type or the disc test says that I'm this kind of a personality type, but none of these personality types help me understand why I feel completely different on Thursday than I did on Monday, you know, for example, how um, life, the quality of experience of life itself is biodynamic. And we're not the same people that we were 30 years ago, right? We're, we're, we're spiritual beings having a, a human experience. We're having a, in my opinion, we're spiritual beings um, in earth school, learning, you know, how to create impact at this level of reality. Um, and so really figuring out what's me and what's not me, discovering and uncovering and re recovering my own boundaries um, and ability to affect change at this level of reality has been a lot of what my journey of healing has um, helped me get in touch with. And yeah, so then I, um, <laughs> To go back and to go back to the forward progress we were making to answer the question that you had just asked me, um, where can people learn about me? Where can people follow me? There's a there's a bunch of places, and I guess I can just lift, list some of them off. Um, the places I'm I'm active on Twitter at Joshua Blattman. Um, I'm active on Facebook, um, Joshua Blattman. Um, I have a in, I have Instagram pages um, at Joshua Blattman Music and also at J-S-B-L-A-T-R-O-C-K, which is J-S Blattrock. Um, fun little name that I made up a while ago. Um, I'm also active on an app called Wisdom. Um, I've been talking a bunch lately. This is a, a fairly new app, um, but I've, I've got a you know half a dozen talks up there and a couple hundred followers it looks like so far it's been it's been fun to have conversations with people um through that app um i also have a website called survivors to thrivers.org um with the number two survivors s-u-r-v-i-v-o-r-s the number two thrivers which is t-h-r-i-v-e-r-s.org um and I originally built that site about the idea of, you know, we're all told, you know, the healing that we're told will help us is we're often told to just take another pill. And that's not always, and while that might be what's healthiest and what's, what's, um, what's needed, it's not always healthiest or what's needed. Um, and so I've, been really interested in the idea of um, how do we get in charge of our own healing um, despite the conflicts of interests inherent in a for-profit medical system structure um, where 
pharmaceutical companies give multi-million dollar donations to medical schools. And um, that might not inherently be a, you know, that might not be a problem at the surface, but when you dig a little deeper, it's really hard for me to imagine that $40 million doesn't affect how that medical school doesn't affect that medical school's curriculum, for example. Um, and if and if donations can buy curriculum, and if a if corporate if corporate um, donations um, can affect the curriculum that that school is teaching, then um, then it's harder for me to trust the quality of the education because it's not actually the education, it's an agenda that you're being taught. Um, and so coming, I guess, so what are the, you know, what are the tools that actually help? What are, what are the most effective ways to actually cause an effect, um, a healing effect? Um, and so that's kind of what I originally started the Survivors to Thrivers uh, website to be about. Um, I morphed into an astrology site two years ago or so. Um, but, you know, <laughs> what it's actually going to be is probably somewhere in the middle of those two things. Um, but, you know, everything's, everything's a, everything is uh, developing in process. So I, the, the places to follow me uh, would be Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn, um, Facebook, you know all the social media channels. I'm on TikTok too. I put some music up there. Oh, I'm also on Spotify and Apple Music and all the music streaming services with some original music. That Through I your podcast? Um, my podcast is... Um, the Survivorship Thrivers podcast is on YouTube and Spotify. I think it's on all those channels too. Oh, but you can definitely find my podcast on SoundCloud or on YouTube. You can look up my name, Joshua Blattman, or you can look it up under Survivors to Thrivers. And I'll encourage everyone to go over to his social media accounts or his podcast, Survivors to Thrivers, uh, his website that he has created to help people out, especially survivors who care, and hopefully making from Survivors to Thrivers making people thrive rather than just survive. So, mm, very good. So, so thank you so much, Joshua, for being here. It was certainly a pleasure talking to you, understanding your journey, understanding your perspective. And I wish you all the best for the good work that you're doing for the society. So thank you so much for being here, Joshua. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks so much, Vikas. This was a pleasure. And uh, thank you very much.